This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and you're listening to episode 23. Today, I'm talking with Carrie Moore. She works at Exodus Refugee Immigration as the Director of Self-Sufficiency. In this episode of the podcast, Carrie shares with us what the immigration process looks like, what some of the clients that she works with have been through to get to the United States to resettle and start a new life. Carrie also shares with us in this episode ways we can get involved and support refugees in our country and help them resettle here in America. We also talk about kids and raising our kids to be includers and just keeping them a part of the conversation and exposing them to situations and people who are different from them. I really walked away feeling encouraged to empower my kids to learn and grow and step outside of their comfort zone and to welcome people into their lives and our lives, the lives of our family with open arms. I'm so thankful to have been born in a country where we have so much freedom and I just want to make sure I recognize on a daily basis and I make sure my kids know on a daily basis how much privilege we have to have just been born here in this country and welcoming refugees into this country is really important. And I hope that everybody listening here today gets a little bit of inspiration and maybe reaches out to their local welcome center or organization like Exodus Refugee Immigration to see what you can do to help people resettling here in our country. Hey, if you are enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're really trying to get the word out about this show, and that's one of the best ways you can help us do that. Make sure you check out the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions Network. We've got I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine and the Up and Running podcast. Links to everything Carrie and I talk about in this episode will be in the show notes at theilluminatepodcast.com. Make sure you're following us over on Instagram. We are the Illuminate Podcast over there. All right, friends, I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Carrie Moore. All right. Well, today on the Illuminate podcast, I'm sitting with Carrie Moore at Exodus Refugee Immigration. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. It's really fun to chat with you. Okay. So Carrie and I first met years ago when I coached a running program here in Indianapolis, and we've kind of kept in touch online since then. Mm-hmm. Made her run a couple half marathons first. <laughs> yes. Well, and I have Lindsay to thank for my marathon PR because you coached me. I was trying to run a sub four marathon and you got me there. So I will always be grateful for that. Oh, well, what about the one year though? Well, yes. Oh my the- gosh. <laughs> oh, so the story. Tell everybody the story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the story about that is I had like trained with Lindsay to, to try to run this marathon and did like four months of training. I was doing all this speed work, you know, all this intense stuff that you had me doing. And then I was running a monumental, I think this was 2015. 
And I got to the start of the race, like, and it was a really cold, windy day. So I went just past the starting line. I was on literally like my 10th step. And there was a plastic bag that blew across the course. And I got my foot caught in it. And I fell. I dislocated my shoulder. I had to go to the ER. (laughs) I couldn't run the race. And I, oh, I mean, after like all that training and then not being able to run it. So that was awful. Um, (laughs) But credit to Monumental. They gave me a free entry for the next year. And I just did your training plan all over again and did it all the next year. But yeah, that was a bummer. Patience. (laughs) You know, sometimes things don't work out like you plan. But yeah, that's a lot of patience to go. I mean, you went through the entire training cycle. I did. You're there. You're prepared. You're meant you you already worked through all because the mental morning nerves of a marathon. Like, yeah, you put that time in the (laughs) night before. Yes. And I had like all my little like mantras in my head of like, okay, this is what I'm going to do at this mile and this mile and this mile. I was like really on it and really ready. And then it all fell apart. Oh, well, this is a lesson for everybody listening that things don't always go as planned. And if you persevere, you can come back and you can still run that sub four marathon or whatever the goal is. Right. Exactly. Don't give up. Yeah. (laughs) Well, today, Carrie and I are here to talk about her work. She's doing really great work here at Exodus Refugee Immigration. Is it center or just? No, just, just Exodus Refugee there. Immigration. Usually we just, you know, go by Exodus or Exodus Refugee. But OK, tell yeah. us exactly what you what is the mission of Exodus here? What do you guys do? Yeah. So Exodus is a nonprofit agency and our mission is to provide um, services to refugees in Indiana um, to help them build self-sufficient lives here in our state. So we are, um, we kind of have, we have a few different aspects of our work. So I would say sort of the bread and butter of what we do is we're contracted under the State Department to provide resettlement services for newly arriving refugees. So we have a set of core services like within their first three months or so in the U.S. So um, we do everything from we pick people up at the airport, Mm. literally like they come on their flight from whatever country. We're the ones who meet them, um, which is really fun. We have set up housing before they come. So we provide them with an apartment, with food, with um, case management services. So we help people get their IDs and get signed up for benefits that they're eligible for. And um, we provide trainings like English classes. We help with job placement. So just like if you think about everything you would need when you move to a new country, um, that's a lot of what we do. And then in addition to that, we have a lot of extended programs where we're able to help people for up to five years of their arrival. So we have a youth program, a women's program, a mental wellness program, um, employment services up to five years. So really... um, Yeah, just trying to help people on that journey to creating a new life. How do you become somebody that picks the people up from the airport? You can. We we have volunteer groups that help with that. Yeah. Arms wide open. Come on. Yes. It's so much fun, especially when there are family reunions, because a lot of times families don't like they don't all come at the same time. So maybe like the dad comes first or something and then his wife and kids are joining him. They've been separated for three or four eight years I mean it could be sometimes it's a very long time and then like you see them reunite and it's just like everyone's oh, crying gosh and, yeah that's yeah. incredible it is what specifically do you do within the organization so I um, I'm the director of self-sufficiency programs so I started out my background is in teaching ESL so I started out in our English language program as a teacher here and then 
um, in the past year or so became, um, got promoted to this position. So I oversee our education program, which is English classes and like cultural trainings. And then also our employment team, our youth program, and then I organize our staff trainings. Oh, wow. So it's a lot of variety. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me this in Indiana, where yeah. are we seeing most refugees coming from? So with our, in our agency, there are three refugee agencies in Indiana. Um, there are two here in Indianapolis and one in Fort Wayne. Um, so for us, our biggest groups are coming from Burma and from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Okay. Um, and then we have a smattering of other countries. Like last year we had people from Afghanistan, Central African Republic, El Salvador, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Guatemala, Ivory Coast, Sudan, and Syria. Um, but those are a handful. So mostly Burma and DR Congo. Okay. Eritrea. 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 Actually, which is where Meb is from. That's what I was going to say. Yes. You know, he came as a child. uh, When he came, um, he came as through the refugee program as a child. Yeah. And she's talking about Meb Kafleski. He's uh, one of the most well-known American marathoners. Yes. In the world. And I love his story so much. Have you read his book? I have it on my shelf. I have like such a large pile to read but um no I haven't yet but I have it yeah he kind of lays out the story of his dad traveling to to come here and it's pretty cool and and speaking of that I just read Lopez Lamong's book yeah so he's from South Sudan and he was a lost boy he got picked up by the rebel armies and he ended up escaping and he lived in a refugee camp in Kenya for 10 years Wow. And then he had the opportunity to write a letter and get this scholarship to come over to the United States. Wow. Yeah. Ends up running um, for in college, runs professionally, and now he does a lot of work trying to help people in his home country. But um, reading that story, it kind of was a serendipitous time that I just read that book. And now yeah. I'm sitting here with you. Yeah. Because he talks so much about the pride that he has uh, being an American, mm. he's an American citizen mm-hmm. now. Um, but also obviously so much love for his home country yeah. as well. And just how grateful and thankful he is to be able to be mm-hmm. an American citizen. Yeah. Um, his process was probably a lot different than some of the people that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was 16, he wrote a letter and wow. there was like a couple thousand boys and girls who got accepted into this program and he didn't even speak English, didn't write, know how to write in English. And he had to just fig- like find different older kids at the camp to figure out how to translate wow. to English to write this wow. letter. It's a really powerful story if anybody hasn't read it. But thinking through his story and how he came here, just gosh, the dangerous situation that he fled from to yeah. get here. Mm-hmm. I would love it if you could kind of explain what it might look like for a refugee to actually get here? Yeah, that is such a great question. Um, And so I think starting out by just defining like what is a refugee, since there are so many, there's just a a lot of information out there and people kind of get grouped together. So um, there is actually like a legal definition of a refugee. So a refugee is somebody who has fled their home country because of war or, you know, persecution and justice of some kind. And they have like crossed a border into another country and then they have an opportunity to register with the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, which is the international body that oversees refugees, um, so they can kind of apply for refugee status. 
And then they have to demonstrate like that they've, you know, kind of their situation that they would qualify as a refugee. Um, And then from there, people can apply to be resettled into a third country. So just for a little perspective, there are 68 million people forcibly displaced around the world. Wow. Which really is a crazy number. Actually, one in 113 people on earth are displaced from their home. Wow. Which is staggering. Like when you think about one out of almost 100, one out of 113. Um, So of those, like 40 million of those are internally displaced people, meaning they're within their own country. Um, 25 million are refugees, meaning they've like crossed into another country. So once people do that, they can apply through the UN, as I said, to be resettled um, to another country. Less than 1% of refugees ever are actually resettled. So it's a tiny number. Like out of the people in need, there are very few people who actually ever make it like to the U.S. or another country that accepts refugees. Um, But the process involves like background checks, security checks, medical screenings, um, all kinds of deep background information about people. So it's just a really long process. um, And not a lot of people actually end up being approved for it. So basically, yes, there's this whole application process. And then guess kind of if you're one of the lucky ones you might be resettled into into another country like the U.S. Yeah I I oftentimes think about it it's like can you imagine if that was your world you were living in where there was literally war in your backyard and you were trying to just get your kids to a safe place? I know I this is you know Lindsay this is something I think about like I feel like it's just it's an accident of history right like we were born in a place where we don't have fighting in our backyard. There's not fighting in the streets, you know, but like if I had to, you know, if I had to grab my three-year-old and pack him up on my back and whatever I could carry and flee, like that's what our families have had to do. That's what people around the world are having to do. And I hope that somebody would help me, you know, I hope that somebody would, would take pity on me or my grandma or my mom or whoever needed help and help them. And I think that's like, that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is that, like, hey, that could be me. That could be you. That It's just that we happen to have been born in a place where that isn't, you know, our situation. I know. I'm like, how did I, how did this work out for me this way? And, yeah. you know, another woman that's 36 and, you know, has the same number as kids as, as I do. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, wh- why did this work out so simply and honestly easy for yeah. me? I know it's really humbling. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, I get... You know, I get worried about whatever problem in my life. And not that those things aren't important, but like working with our clients every day, I'm like, you know, I've had a lot of privileges in my life. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it helps me keep things in perspective for sure. I know me being stressed about the gas company being at my house this morning. (laughs) Right. Right. Or like, yeah, I know there's a lot of things that. I do that all the time though, especially when I'm overwhelmed with my children Mm -hmm. and I'm like. I have to remind myself, though, it's okay to be overwhelmed, though. Even though your life is easy, I have to remind myself, like, I'm a human being and these feelings are normal. Totally. Oh, yeah. I have to do that, too, because I'm (laughs) like, okay, it's okay for me to be upset about something. It's okay for me to be processing my own feelings, too. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So I'm curious as, you know, I think a lot of people are interested in helping and interested in being involved and being a good neighbor and a good American citizen welcoming people who need safety and a home here. Mm -hmm. But we're just stuck with, I'm going to be nice to everybody, but what (laughs) can I actually do? Right. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked this. I think it's so important. Um, 
I mean, I think when you said you're going to be nice to everybody, I think that's actually like a really good start is just to be friendly, to be welcoming, to be patient. Like if you run into somebody maybe who doesn't speak English as a first language, just like being kind to them, being patient with them if they're trying to communicate, you know, with you. Um, and I think it's really great because our clients talk about like how they feel welcome in our community, which makes me so happy. Yeah. Like that's what I hope that they are finding. Um and then like there are definitely like Exodus has volunteer opportunities. So we have a youth mentor program. We're actually accepting youth mentors right now if anybody wants to work with some fun teenagers. Hello. Hello. Um, we have people who help at our front desk. We have volunteers in our English program. Um, so and we also take donations like things like winter clothes and coats and all of that. I mean, our clients are mostly all coming from warm climates. And so they get here and it's winter and it's a shock. And so people are in need of warm clothes. Um, we have an Amazon wish list. I mean, all of those things like on our website, we have a, a take action tab and you can see like volunteer info, household donations, that kind of thing. Um, so those are some really concrete ways to get involved. And then, yeah, I think just... Um, being being friendly and welcoming and open like really goes a long way and if you have a chance to get to know somebody with a little bit of a different background than you I think that's always just it just broadens our perspective you know you know I think about that all the time and I you know I try to send my kids to a school that is diverse and Mm -hmm. but honestly and I want to expand but it is so easy to just yeah. get stuck in your ways of these are my people, right. this is my community, these are my neighbors. And I'm all about knowing my neighbors and my friends. But let's be honest, a lot of my neighbors look a lot like look like I do. Right. You know? Right. I mean, I think that's easy for all of us. I mean, I even feel like for me, a lot of my exposure is because like I work here. You yeah. Know? So yeah, yeah. it's it is hard to do in our personal life. And I don't know. I don't know if if I don't know if I have like a great answer to that. Um, I think sometimes that's why like a volunteer opportunity is great because you can intentionally put yourself in a situation of like, okay, I'm going to really decide that I'm going to put myself around people that are different, that look different from me or have a different background from me. Yeah. I think that that's just it. You, you can't just accept, you can't just expect something to fall into your lap. Right. Like I'll be a good person when the (laughs) opportunity arises for me and it just falls right in front of me. Of course I'm going to do the right thing, but you kind of have to seek seek it out. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think it's just, I think it's a total game changer too, when you really can like put a face and a story to like some of the stuff we see on the news, you know? And so if I hear about a war in Africa or something, it's like, now I can picture, I'm like, oh, there's like a hundred people that I know from that country or something. Like once you get to know somebody, it's, it feels personal. You know what I mean? And you can care about it in a deeper way because like, you know, somebody maybe who came from a situation like that. Yeah. I want to talk about biases a little bit because I think that we all have these um, biases that affect what we might imagine someone who's immigrating to the United States might be like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and I honestly think about the older generation a lot, like my Mm -hmm. parents' generation. Yeah. Because when we're talking about these things, I think that, um, a lot of people have the mindset of like, well, I just want my family to be safe. Mm -hmm. And they get scared of who's coming into our country. Mm -hmm. And one thing I just think is so important that we all need to do is like, think about that person as if they were you. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Like, what if 
that was how you grew up. That's the religion your parents taught you. Yeah. And it's hard to, for people to do that because they mm-hmm. kind of think me versus something else or some other religion or something else. Yeah. But it's really like what's right or wrong. It's it's mm-hmm. where you come from. Like that's right. you have to look through the eyes of someone else. So yes. I would just love to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think I think you're so right. I think the root of this to me, the root of this work is what is the right thing to do? And it's almost just the golden rule. Like how would I want to be treated if I were in this situation? And realizing that, like, first of all, with ref- with through the refugee program, like these people are very heavily vetted. You know, there's a lot of checks. I mean, these are not people just kind of like somehow landing in our country. I mean, yeah. these are people that have like been through a really rigorous process. Um, the average stay in a refugee camp is now over 21 years, wow. which is staggering. I mean, I know clients, some of our clients in their 20s, I mean, they've been in a refugee camp since they were six years old, yeah. you know? And so just the things they've been through are, yes, staggering. All right. So yeah, let's talk about the different people that you are seeing coming to this country that are using your program mm-hmm. programs. What are some of their stories? Yeah. You know, we just, we have so many different, I guess, types of clients or, or clients that come through. So everything from... Um, like we have a lot of families. We have a lot of families with young children. We have um, single moms with several children. We have single people. We have old people. I recently did um, an assessment with a client who's 85 years old. Nice. Um, actually, the elderly clients are my very favorite. Oh, I bet. Um, they're really, they're a hoot. They just tell you exactly what they think, which I love. <laughs> like, they're like, I'm old. I can say what I want. Like, yes, you can. Um, I got so, max 20 years le- left. Yeah. I'm saying it all. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So it's really I think it's just the normal people. I think that's what I would say is like refugees are people who like they've experienced something horrible that has displaced them. But their families like like your family or my family, you know, and they're people who are in search of a safe place to just restart their lives. And so people come here, they get jobs, they um they buy ho- they buy homes eventually and so they just they become members of the of the community. What is going on as far as I listened to a podcast recently that said a couple years ago we were accepting as many as 100,000 refugees into this country and now mm-hmm. it's way down. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I know I talked a little bit about the process of how people get approved um, to be resettled, but really the number of refugees that are allowed into the country is determined each year by the president. Um, and so the just for a little bit of background, the U.S. refugee resettlement program was like formally established in 1980. Okay. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. So I think we've there was some informal things happening before then, like kind of since World War II, but it, it became more standardized in 1980. Okay. Kind of more professionalized, I guess. Um, and we've had about 3 million, the U.S. has welcomed about 3 million uh, refugees since that time total. And so, as I said, the president is the one who sets uh, the cap on refugee admissions each year. So our highest ever was in 1980, um, which was 207,000. Oh, wow. President Reagan. Yeah. And then in recent years... Um, so, for example, in 2016, it was 80,000. In 2017, it was 110,000. And then under this administration, it has dropped. So 
it was 45,000 and 30,000. And now for 2020, it's only 18,000. That's so few. It's so few. When you think about, okay, there are 65 million displaced people, 25 million refugees in the world, and we're going to welcome 18,000. I mean, it's just a tiny, tiny, tiny drop in the bucket. Yeah. Um, so of course, like we're hoping that that number will go back up. Um, but yeah. Is there a number that it's like, okay, we have to like, you know, there's only so many that we can safely do this to make sure we have enough background tra- checks and everything just because I'm thinking staff wise, like the people that have to process all yeah. this, like, and there's only so many hours in a day. Is there a right. number where it's like, this is feasible? Yeah. I mean, I think w- what we'd really like to see is back to 80 or 90,000 okay. a year. I mean, and you're right. Part of that is building the capacity to do all of the processing. Yeah, just all the which, things. Right. Which we've had that capacity, you know, for decades. So that all is there. Um, but the problem is if that number keeps dropping, mm-hmm. all of that gets eroded. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of what we're facing right now, which I will also mention. I'll put in a plug for advocacy. Okay. You, you asked, like, how can people help? Yeah. Another way to help is to advocate for the refugee program. So if this is something that you care about, if you think, like, we should be a welcoming community, we have the capacity to welcome these families. Um, Just reaching out to elected officials is a huge thing. Um, As I said, the president sets the number, but Congress is supposed to be consulted about that. And if we demonstrate support, like I think that's really important as well. And that's one of those things where you say, oh, well, I want that, but you don't actually act on it. Right. Exactly. I know. (laughs) But yes. And it's funny because I've started doing a lot more advocacy in this uh-huh. job, and it's like it's actually really easy to do. It's just the kind of thing that we don't. You just ever think, get oh, around but to. I don't need to be the one to do it, and it's it, that's right. a really a silly thing to think. But I know I'm not yeah. the only one here that has felt that. Oh no, no, not all. I mean, I felt that way too. But then, it's the kind of thing too. I think when you get in the habit, and you're like, okay, I know the phone numbers, I know how to do this. Like it's it becomes a little bit easier. Hey, everybody, I'm going to take a quick break and thank a sponsor for this episode, and that is Feels. Feels is a premium CBD company that helps you clear your head, helps you feel your best, and it's proven to reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. I'm a user of Feels myself, and I can tell you that it works and it makes me feel really good. Now, I know CBD can sound confusing and you just wonder how much do I take? When do I take it? What's it for? Is it for anxiety or is it for sleep? And Feels is really good at educating you on when and how to use their product. They actually offer a free CBD hotline and tech support to help guide you through the discovery process. Now, what I learned when I started using Feels is that you take a certain dosage for how you want to feel. So I take a certain amount of CBD if I want to use it for clarity and energy. And then I take a different amount if I want to use it for sleep support. So there are different ways to use the product. You just have to do it the right way. And when you get a shipment of Feels, they send you a little pamphlet that tells you exactly how to use their product. Now, Feels is really easy to take. They send it to you in a little bottle that has a dropper and you just put it under your tongue and you'll feel the difference within minutes. It will naturally help reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And the cool thing is it's premium CBD delivered directly to your doorstep. There's no high, there's no hangover or addiction, and it helps you feel better naturally. Feels has me feeling better every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash 
Illuminate and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash Illuminate to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels dot com slash Illuminate. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Carrie Moore. What are some things, I'm sure you've thought about this. You have a son who's three mm-hmm. and as he gets older, this and this is your everyday life. So you're really immersed in this mm-hmm. community. Um, I love to know what are ways you think we can include our kids and empower them to be welcoming kids to other children who might yeah. be families. You know, I have thought about this a lot yeah. and I've thought like, okay, at what age can I really talk to my son about the work I do? And yeah. it's like, I don't necessarily want to sit him down and say, hey, like people are fleeing war in their countries yeah. and their families have been mur-. I mean, you know, you don't want to overwhelm a child, but I really, you know, I just want, I like, I really want him to be aware of the stories, I guess, of other people around the world. I think I will just try to like, in an age appropriate way, introduce maybe even books that have characters Mm. that like are people of color or, you know, are not all stories that are exactly like his own life. Yeah. Um, Just through storytelling, even through, um, I mean, I know there are people who bring their kids with them when they volunteer here. So even just, and you know, it's like not to have it be like, Oh, come look at these people. Like an experiment. Right. Like it's, it's not like, oh, let's put our clients on display. But I mean, if you can involve kids in a way of like, hey, we're going to go and help with this or that. And just to kind of expose them to people who are different or to talk or people with different backgrounds, I should say, or yeah, just like help them understand that maybe about different countries and different cultures around the world and just kind of introduce some of that. Yeah, I'm so obsessed with wanting my kids to be includers. Yeah. And it's so hard because kids are going to naturally like morph to their friend circles. And Mm -hmm. I talk to my oldest, especially in my second too, often about this. Like if you ever, if you ever see any kid that, you know, looks sad or alone or, you know, make sure Mm -hmm. that you aren't just ignoring that and that you include them. Yeah. And recently I said to, oh, I was, we had awful morning. It was just Mm. really hard. And um, he, you know, he had cried, I'd cried the whole yeah. thing. My oldest has a pretty hot temper and I do too. Uh, but I said to him when he was going to school, he didn't want to go in. And I was like, you have a purpose today. Like there mm-hmm. is a purpose for you today. Yeah. And I just, I was reading a book that kind of made me want to say that. And then when he got home from school, uh, he told me there was a new kid in his class. Oh. And I said, oh, there was. And I said, Um, I said, did you make him feel welcome? Mm -hmm. And he said, maybe that was that thing you were talking about this morning. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It was one of those parenting moments where I puffed up my chest and I was like, oh my gosh. And I don't, (laughs) I don't think he was even thinking about it in the moment, but I think after school, like he kind of pieced it all together. Yeah. You know? And so I oftentimes also think about our kids who might be in classrooms with kids a who English is their second language and it yeah. might there might be a language barrier mm-hmm. um, and who have come to this country as a refugee mm-hmm. our kids have no idea what these kids have been through no and I'm sure that the language barrier can be tough to form friendships because mm-hmm. as an adult that's tough yeah 
So how do we empower them to, I guess kids though, they probably see through, they probably don't think about it as much as we do. Yeah. I don't know. And you're a little ahead of me as far as like your kids are a little older. So mine's still pretty little, but something I, um, encourage people, I don't know how well this would work for kids, but even like learning a word or two in in the other person's language, like Uh even if you learn how to say hello or how are you or thank you, I could think it goes such a long way. I mean, I will do that with our clients and they kind of like, they just get a kick out of it because they're like, oh, you're speaking Swahili or Kenyarwanda. And I'm like, I'm trying. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think definitely encouraging them to be welcoming. And I think just my really big message for the world is like, there's room for everybody at the table. We need a big table where everybody's welcome. Like there is room, there's space for everyone. And I think if we can help our kids to, like you said, be includers or even find things that they have in common. Maybe they both like to play soccer or they both, you know, they just can, they can play together or they can be encouraged to, like you said, if they see a kid sitting alone, like, hey, come play with me. Like that kind of thing I think is amazing. Do you have any compelling stories, a story of someone who's come through here? Yeah. You know, you sent me that question. I was thinking, I was like, oh, there are so many clients that I just really love. I, I have a, a couple in mind. Yeah. One that I really, um, one lady that I really enjoyed working with, she came um, five or six years ago now as a single mom of five. Her husband actually is back in Africa, but she has five daughters. And she came and they just had like a really hard time. Like mom, you know, they didn't speak English yet. They just had a lot of struggles. But now like all her girls are in school. One of them is actually like a standout track athlete. So she's like doing all these cool like track competitions. Um, and the mom just recently got her U.S. citizenship. So after five years. And so I was able to like go to her ceremony and kind of cheer her on. She came to like 300 English classes wow. at Exodus. <laughs> like she just she had she was a spitfire. She had all kinds of opinions about everything, you know, but, <laughs> but she was also such a mom. Like she would look at me and then she would just like pull out this injera, like the spread that she had made. I'm like, here, eat this, you know, and, like <laughs> force this food on me, you know, and she just, it's like people, sometimes they struggle. Like it's not easy to leave everything that you know and come to a new place, but just seeing the way over time people adapt, they get a job, they settle into a family, their kids are, are into a home, their kids are in school. Um, they're being successful. They're going out to college here. I mean, it's such a dream for people that their kids would have like access to this kind of education and these yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Um, education. Huge. Yeah. And like if I could talk a little bit about one of my favorite things that I do here is that I teach a literacy class. Um, so there's, you know, our clients are very diverse. So some of them, you know, they have an education, they come here, they're highly skilled, they're highly educated, they speak English, and some of them have never, maybe have no formal schooling. And so this group that I'm working with, they're mostly, they're women, mostly in their 50s and 60s. They have, you know, they've raised their families, their kids are mostly grown, um, and these mamas, as they kind of like to be called. So they have Mm -hmm. no formal education, but they, like, they have decided, okay, I'm in America, I'm going to learn. And so they they come they come to English class and we uh, we were talking the other day. I have an interpreter like once a week and they said, you know, when we were in Africa, people told us like, you're too old to learn. You're when you go to America, you're just going to sit around. You're not going to do anything. And they're like, but now we don't just have to cook like we go to school. And they're so 
proud and they're learning English for the first time. Not only English, but they're learning like how to read and write for the first time. Wow. Um, and just the fact that they are like, yes, I'm 60 years old. I have five kids. I have been a subsistence farmer all my life. But hey, I'm going to go to school. Yeah. It's so amazing to me because like they're funny. Sometimes they'll say, we just need God to help us. We just need, you know, they like let and <laughs> to one, learn like to learn. Yeah. So sometimes like in some ways they they're so humble. Like they're like, teacher, we know like you try so hard, but we forget. And I was like, it's fine. We just take it easy. We go really slow and we just like it's just so amazing to be part of like their first ever schooling. Yeah, I can't imagine. It's like I cry in there frequently. It's just so I don't know. I just really love the chance to work with somebody who's in school for the first time, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is such a cool experience. We just take that for granted too. I, you know, it's funny, Lindsay, because they're learning like the same things Jack, my son is learning now, like he knows his letters and he's starting to learn all this. And I'm like, that kid better never complain about going to school. Right. Because he is so privileged that like, we take it for granted that he's going to have an education. Like, of course he is. And that is not the reality for a lot of the clients that we see, like they never had that chance. And so, um, yeah, I really feel humbled by that every day of like, okay, he has such a head start, but yet they're doing it too. Like they're now really like they could just sit home, but no, like they come here every day and they're working hard and it's really fun to work with them. Yeah. I think a lot of us parents pull the like, you know, don't, don't waste food card because not everybody in the world has enough to eat. (laughs) Right. But we probably overlook the education piece a lot just because it's our everyday life. Right. There's right. Like, of course your kids are, you don't need them to work so that you can keep a roof over your head. Right. You know, and, and around the world, so many people are like their kids maybe have a little bit of school and then they get pulled out because they have to help support the family. So I can't imagine, Showing up in a country where I don't know the language and don't just have no clue what to do. And I know that's what you guys are here for. Mm -hmm. But talk about those barriers that people have when they get here. I mean, it's hard to get a job when you don't have barriers. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's so true. Um, So you're right. People show up. It's like, here they are at the airport. And some people are joining family that are already here and some people, you know, which helps, but some people are not. So um, I would say the main barriers that people face, definitely the language. Mm -hmm. So some, some people speak English, but the majority of our clients don't or they, or maybe just very basic English. So there's a language barrier. There's a transportation barrier. Yeah. So when we set up housing, we are always putting people on bus lines so that they are, have access to public transportation. Um, which Indigo has made so many improvements, which is yeah. really awesome. Um, but it still often takes people like an hour from wherever they live, even to get to our office, which is downtown. Um, so transportation is a barrier. Um, and then just like a lack of work history in the U.S. So people are starting in entry level positions. So even if they have experience overseas, it generally doesn't like really translate. So Um, I think that's a lot of what we are doing is providing those English classes. We have a two-day cultural orientation that everybody goes through. Our employment team is our biggest team here. So we have a lot of people working on um, like building relationships with employers who are, um, who employ our clients. And then like we really help people with, um, you know, filling out a job application, going to an interview. We can provide um, initial transportation to their jobs 
if they're not on a bus line until people find a carpool. Um, and then we just provide a lot of supportive service services. So interpretation to help people understand like, what are they supposed to be doing at the job and understand the company policies and all those kinds of things. So our mission is that our clients will be self-sufficient. Um, but we provide a lot of support along the way to just break down those barriers, um, with a lot of, a lot of training, a lot of case management. And just, I think what I think is really fun too, is like, we know our clients know that they can come to us. So something weird has happened. They have a question about something, you know, somebody has called them on the phone and said they need their social security number or whatever, like they're, some scam is happening they know that they can come to us and we can help them navigate like american american life american culture do so when when a refugee comes to america is there always a program like this to help with resettlement in every in every state yes so if they come so when they're coming like through the refugee program they'll be resettled by an agency like Exodus. Okay. So there are, I do not know the exact number, something like 200 resettlement agencies around the country. Um, so there are, as I said, this is all like under the state department and then there are nine national agencies under that. And then there are local agencies like ours that work under one of the nine. <laughs> it's a lot of <laughs> layers of bureaucracy. Um, but yes, so they would, they would be welcomed by an agency like Exodus. All right. So another thing I'm curious about is we've talked about being, you know, accepting and loving our neighbor and loving people who don't look like us and extending mm-hmm. our circles beyond our community that's right next door to us. Mm-hmm. But how can we be loving and helpful while also respecting boundaries of a safe immigration process? Yeah, that is a great question. You know, as I've talked about the refugee process of all of the, the the checks and, you know, all those things that people go through to come here and the limits on the number of people that come. Uh, so that's one thing. But another thing, of course, that's happening is people um, kind of coming to the southern border and seeking asylum. And that's like very much in the in the news these days. So um, I think one thing to say about that is that that is the proper way for people to seek asylum um, is that. There are a couple of ways that can happen. Like if somebody enters the country, let's say on a tourist visa or through a student visa or whatever, and then they can, once they get here, say, you know, it's not safe for me to return home and they can apply for asylum, which would have to, which is a legal process they would have to go through that would have to be approved, you know, through the court system. Another way that people can do that is to come to the border and say, you know, I'm not safe in my country. I'm seeking asylum in the United States. And that is the, that is a a recognized proper way to approach that request. So, you know, I I think our hope is just that as a country, we could in good faith process those claims that that rather than seeking to put up more restrictions and more boundaries and more barriers that we could just that we could in good faith let people go through that process and that we could really look at those claims and see like okay, if these are legitimate claims like we can grant asylum to these people. Um, and then, you know, Exodus does serve people who've been granted asylum. So many people are waiting for a long time to see if their claims are approved. Um, once they are, we can provide all the services to them that we provide to our other clients. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a hard thing right now because so many people are just in limbo for such a long time. And I think we would really advocate that 
the government do everything that it can and like mobilize resources to process those claims. Um, also continuing the refugee program. Sometimes people will say, well, we can't do both. We have always done both. Like we have always helped asylum seekers and refugees. So I think this idea that we we, we can't do all of the things. I mean, of course, we, we can't help every refugee in the world, but there's a lot that we could do for refugees and asylum seekers um, to serve both. I was thinking about this. Since the numbers are so down for mm-hmm. how many that we're accepting right now, how many refugees mm-hmm. we're accepting, I hope this doesn't come off wrong. Does it make your workload less because you have less people you're processing? I mean, we do have fewer arrival, like new arrivals. Yeah. Um, so in that sense... Yes, it does a little bit, but we also, because we serve people up to five years, we do have a lot of extended programs or like privately funded programs where we're continuing to help people. Um, But I mean, to be honest, we have had to lay staff off because we just, you know, we, we don't have as many arrivals as we did. So our, the, um, the biggest numbers we ever had in 2016, we welcomed 947 people. Um, And then it's kind of been dropping. So last year we welcomed 394. So, I mean, it's way down from what it was. And then this year, I think it'll be less than that. We really don't know yet exactly what our number will be, but, um, yeah, we have had some, some layoffs and, and just, um, yeah, I think with the reduction in arrivals, um, in addition to laying, having had to lay some staff off, it has, um, also just, force us to kind of look at other services we can provide, what are extended ways that we can help people. And the fact is that there are thousands of refugees that we've welcomed in recent years that still need some support or that we can continue to provide services to. So, you know, we're continuing to work with all those clients that have come or many of those clients that have come in recent years as well. I'm curious, Carrie, how did you become passionate about this for your career? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, Ever since I was a kid, I have just been really interested in people and cultures and just different ways of life. It's just always kind of been something that interested me. And then when I was in college, I actually went to Thailand on a kind of a service trip where I was teaching English. And so um, that was I had traveled a little bit internationally before, but that was probably one of the first times that I really felt like, wow, I'm really out of my element. Like Thai, the Thai language is written, you know, in a different script. Like everything is totally unfamiliar, you know. And the only way that I survived is that there were people who helped me. And not at all to equate that with the refugee experience because I was like, okay, I'm a <laughs> university student traveling. You know, like it's not the same situation I realized. But but it did give me a sense of like, I really need other people to yeah. be able to even navigate this world that I find myself in. And so, and then also teaching, that was my first time of teaching English. And so I think that really kind of coalesced for me that, oh, this is a thing I could do. Like I loved teaching English. That's a career I could pursue. And then I could be the person who welcomes somebody else who feels out of their element, you know, and is new to a place. So I think that's really what got me into it. And then I taught English in a few different contexts and then, um, when this opportunity came up, I was like, this is this is the dream for me. This is it. This is where I want to be. That's so cool when those opportunities arise and you just feel like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. That's so cool. I think about a lot, like I'm very proud that in the Midwest, we're mm-hmm. known for being friendly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When I go to New York for work, I oftentimes leave feeling like, ugh. <laughs> 
<laughs> like get me home to my people that are holding doors open and being <laughs> right. super friendly and not honking at me every two seconds. Right. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. even when I'm in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, and I know that's still mid- Midwest, but there's just something about it that I'm, I'm really proud too. I'm really mm-hmm. proud that we're a friendly place. Yeah. Um, and I know that they're in other parts of the world. That's how I would be welcomed. Mm-hmm. And it oh, makes yeah. me really sad to think that people might not feel that, like feel that happy. Yeah. We're happy you're here. Right. Like, arms wide open. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's funny because our, our clients sometimes will say like, nobody's ever outside in this country. Interesting. You know, like people, like they drive into their uh-huh. garage, they close the garage door, they go in the house and like, it's easy not to see your neighbors. Yeah. And that's very different from the very communal culture that our clients often come from. So yes. I think sometimes they, that's a big shock to people. Uh-huh. Um, but at the same time, like we have such community support where people are, they are coming and welcoming um, clients. A lot of our clients are connected with welcome teams, which might be like church groups or faith groups or community groups who like work closely with one family. And I think like those friendships make a huge difference because our clients, they want to, they want to become, they want to know Americans. They want to become part of this community. So I'm curious what that looks like when you have someone coming into this country that might be of a different religion and it's a church community, Mm -hmm. say a Christian church community, for Mm -hmm. instance, that's welcoming them in. Is that ever any kind of, are there any kind of strange cultural barriers there? You know, we do trainings with those groups um, ahead of time. And one of the things we say, because we, I know our name could be misleading. We are, we are a non-faith-based organization. So we welcome clients of all religions and no religion, et cetera. And so, but we have a lot of support from from the faith community. So we will just say in our trainings, like, you know, you're welcome to like invite the family you're working with out to do things, but you know, please respect their religious preferences. Yeah. Like, weren't, you're not supposed to be trying to change their religion or yeah. anything like that. And I think yeah. most people, their intention is not to, to truly proselytize. Help. They're you're right to truly help. But we do talk about that and yeah. just like how to respect each other's culture and re- religious beliefs and things like that. And I believe that too. I believe that probably most church groups and people in church groups really just have a heart to help people. And yeah. that's why they're doing it. Yeah, definitely. And without those church groups, you guys would probably be have a lack of major volunteers right totally and resettlement has been like very the faith community has been very tied into refugee resettlement from the beginning i think even before it was kind of a more formalized process like churches were like sponsoring families and you know they've the the church community has been involved for a long time and we have some really strong partnerships that's awesome yeah so great Mm -hmm. okay carrie let's wrap this up a little bit if i had one action item to do today or tomorrow or Monday. Okay, let's say Monday. It's, <laughs> yeah, well, today's I, Friday. It's 4 p.m. on Friday. <laughs> right. Um, give me one action item for next week that I can, I or my kids or my husband or we could do together, or I can do by myself, that I can do to support a refugee. That is an awesome question. Thank you. I mean, probably the fastest and easiest thing you could do is call your senator, okay. call your son- congressman and say, I support refugee resettlement and just make it known to them. Like, I support this program. I think that refugees make our community stronger. I want to continue to welcome them. Um, that's sort of a quick and easy, so to speak. Um, and then I think, are there ways that you can put yourself in a situation where you're going to meet somebody different from yourself and have a chance to even just say hello to them or 
to befriend someone. I always find that so hard because I'm like, where do I find these people? Right. Yeah. And that's my own fault because I'm in these. I'm in my circles. Yeah. No. I take my kids to school. It's I actually, go to the yeah. Y. Right. It's <laughs> I go, not that easy to do. Actually. I go co-work at my, you know, like I just, I find it really hard and it's not, it's not impossible, but yeah, it's hard though. You're right. And I mean, as far as concrete actions, I mean, you can support a refugee by going to our website, click on our Amazon wish list, and, you know, yeah. pick something in your budget and send it to support a refugee. I mean, like really honestly, like once like a that. month. Once a month or Something, like 15 bucks once when a you're month. right or your kids grow out of their coats. I mean, maybe you're handing them down to the next kid. I don't know. But like if they <laughs> by the time the fourth them, one is through, that coat that is, is probably coat done is garbage. Now. But like, you know, you're whoever you're you have winter clothes that you're not using, like drop them off at our office. Those can go to help refugees. Or if you own a business, like maybe you consider could oh, I employ refugees? Yeah, that's great. Um, You know, just there are a lot of those little things I think people can do. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Carrie, who is someone who you find that is doing work that is illuminating? I really thought about this and I thought about our clients and all of the amazing stuff they're doing. Um, but I've talked about them already. So I actually want to talk about uh, my friend Ginger Kazabutsky. Sorry, Ginger Kazabutsky. Um, so Ginger is kind of a teacher, soulmate of mine, and she volunteers. Um, she teaches at ELS um, downtown and then she volunteers with Immigrant Welcome Center and she helped to head up a study where she did a huge survey of English language learners in Indianapolis and the different needs that they had um, with support from the Lilly Endowment, interviewed over 1,200 um, immigrants, not only refugees, but immigrants to the U.S., to Indianapolis. Um, and what came out of that was the knowledge that 31% of the people she surveyed read at a grade one or below level in English. And there are often like not English classes for people that are at those beginning levels. And so kind of out of that study and in collaboration with Exodus and some other organizations, we've started these study circles where teachers from around the city are coming together for professional development to learn like how to teach literacy skills to um, to adults who don't have basic literacy yet. We're going to be she's going to be bringing in a, a nationally renowned trainer in March um, to help develop teachers in this way. So. I think she she's just such a go-getter of seeing a need, like mm-hmm. a gap in services and then saying like, okay, I'm going to do a study and I'm going to find funding and I'm going to like I can be have the all one. this training. Yes. And so she really inspires me to not just accept like, okay, well, we just don't have services for these mm-hmm. people, but like, okay, what can we do about this? So those people are really important. They are. I'm like, she has so much energy. I just really, I love it. I love to just learn from her and kind of help collaborate with what she's doing because she's yeah. amazing. I think a lot of people would look at that problem and think, well, what? You right. Know, what, what can, can I, I do? do? Exactly. Know? I'm just going to keep doing my job and mm-hmm. caring about my job, but right. that's that's a problem and yeah. not addressing it. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you have a book recommendation? I do. So I love to read. Okay. Reading is probably my favorite hobby. Of course, running too. Yes. But reading. It's a little more relaxing. Um, so one book I really want to recommend, it's called, it's just called Refugee okay. um, by Alan Gratz, G-R-A-T-Z. Um, it's a YA book. So it's a young adult um, novel. Oh. And it's, so it's like a really accessible, like I read it, you yeah. know, it's still good for adults, but it's really a quick read, very accessible. Um, and it's a story of three refugee kids. So 
one from kind of Nazi Germany era, and then a girl from Cuba in the early 90s, and then a Syrian boy in 2015. And it just kind of tells the story of their family's flight and what kind of what happens to them as they have to flee these different uh, situations. And then they kind of all tie together at the end in a cool way. So I think that's a really like if you're wanting to learn more about like what is the refugee experience and kind of a story about it. Um, that's a great book. What is an age appropriate like age for a kid to read that book? Oh, good question. I mean, it's probably like a 200 page novel. Okay. So, I mean, you'd need to be maybe middle school. Okay. I mean, honestly, there's some tough stuff in there. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that's people what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Like there were times that I cried, yeah. you know, especially like, Okay, I'm going to definitely read that. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it's it's heavy because yeah. of the subject matter, but yeah, it's a great read. Okay. Lopez Lamong's book kind of broke me in, and now I yeah. can read this one. Yes. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that recommendation. We'll yeah. put that in the show notes. For sure. All right, and then Carrie, what is your one message to send to the world? So I would say my message is kind of a little bit of what I've been talking about already, but I would just encourage us all to get to know somebody different from ourselves and try to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. You know, I think that, you know, we're lucky that we never had to pack up our kids and flee, but just think about like, if that was your family, um, how would you want to be treated? And I think if, if we can, if we can put ourselves in other people's shoes, if possible, if we can get to know somebody with a story different from ours, I think that just is a game changer. Like that just helps to really helps us to have empathy and be welcoming and open and not be afraid of people who are different, but just be open to getting to know them and realizing that we actually have a lot in common. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Carrie, for sharing your story and sharing the work of Exodus Refugee Immigration. I'm so thankful that you came on to talk to us about everything that you're doing and the great work going on. And thank you for the great action items. I hope that every single person listening does one thing to help someone resettling in this country today. All right. To learn more about Carrie's work at Exodus Refugee Immigration, go to exodusrefugee.org. You can also find them on Instagram. They are exodus underscore refugee. You can find the Illuminate podcast on Instagram. We are the Illuminate podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, Illuminate underscore pod. And we've got a Facebook page as well, the Illuminate podcast. Make sure to check out the other shows in the Sandy Boy Productions Network. I'll have another with Lindsay Hine and the Up and Running podcast. And you can find everything we talked about in the show notes at theilluminatepodcast.com. All right, friends, thanks so much for being here today. And we'll see you next Wednesday on the Illuminate podcast.